there is uh, an interesting phenomenon, right, that takes place in the life of our kids. Uh, those of you who have kids who are grown, uh, or at any stage, maybe you can identify with this, right? From the age of about uh, two or three, when they start learning to talk, to about maybe eight to ten-ish, right, somewhere in that ballpark, mom and dad can do no wrong, right? Mom and dad kind of have the answers to everything, right? Dad is the super dad, right? And mom is the, the boo-boo healer, right? She can kiss a boo-boo and make it go away, and, and healing is, is brought through her touch, and it's just like parents are just adored by their kids, right? But then something happens, like this, this switch sort of flips in their brain when they hit maybe about 10 to 12-ish, right? where all of a sudden, I don't know if like overnight they got a university degree or like something else happened, but all of a sudden like they know everything and mom and dad are like dumb. Anybody identify with that? Yeah. So, so right, so they, they hit this point where like, man, I know, I know all about life and mom and dad, don't try to tell me what to do because uh, like I, I know, right? Those of you with, with kids, uh, younger kids, you have something to look forward to, right? Right now, enjoy it, savor it. They're, they love you, and then all of a sudden, they, they, this, flip, this switch gets flipped in their head, and now it's like mom and dad are just, yeah, they, just, they don't have a clue about the world. Like, I know better. But then something else tends to happen, and when they hit in their early 20s, right, they go away to college, all of a sudden, the mom and dad that they thought was so dumb and didn't have an answer for anything in life, and they knew better, all of a sudden, the first people they're calling when something goes out in their dorm room or they've got to put something in that new house that they bought, the first phone calls almost always to dad or mom. Yeah. Hey dad, uh, I need some help, right? Like, I don't, know how to, I don't know how to put this furniture together or how should I do this with my money or my car broke down. All of a sudden the people that they uh, thought were stupid, right, now are brilliant and all of a sudden know everything again. And the older that we get, the more that we begin to cherish our parents' advice. Amen. The older that we get, the more that we begin to say, man, you, like they weren't dumb. They knew what they were, they knew what they were talking about. I, I tell teenagers this, uh, I told them this recently, right? I said, listen, just for a moment, I'll, I'll give, we'll, we'll give this to you. Let's, let's play along. Let's pretend that your parents are as dumb as you might think that they are. Let's just do that. Let's say that. Let's pretend. Here's the deal. They still beat you with experience, right? They've still got life experience on you. So even if, even if they're like, they don't have it together as much as you think, like they're still smarter than you because they've been around a little longer than you, right? But we, as we get older, we begin to realize how important and how cherished that advice of our parents is. And, and as we look at the book of Proverbs this morning, we notice that uh, there's this advice that we get from a dad to a son. And the book of Proverbs is really, uh, it's found in the Old Testament, and it is a compilation of wise sayings. And the point of Proverbs is to answer this question. How do I get wisdom, and then how do I live life well? And by well, I don't mean uh, successful with money or uh, fame or stuff. I mean, how do I live life full and complete and whole? How do, how do I live life, life very well? Proverbs is what we would call, part of what we call in the Bible, the wisdom literature. And that includes Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, and the book of Job. And they all answer this question is, what does it mean to live life well? And, and each of the books is going to grapple with a different aspect of that. So Ecclesiastes is really going to probe this question, what's the meaning of life? 
And Job is going to ask the question, what about suffering, and how do we deal with that? And then Song of Songs is going to answer the question, what about love? And so it's really going to hit these main themes. And Proverbs is sort of just a compilation of wisdom that's been passed down and compiled for us to look at. And the goal of wisdom literature is to advise you, it's to warn you, it's to persuade you about how life works. Now, Proverbs are not promises. They, are, they don't cover every aspect of a given situation. They are sort of memorable ideas and memorable sayings about the way that the world typically works. A good cultural example of this, right? I, I could say this and you guys could finish it, right? Early to bed, early to rise makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise, right? Like we, we know that that's a kind of an American proverb, right? But I know people that are early to bed, early to rise, but they're not all healthy, wealthy, and wise, right? So it's, it's, not, it's not a promise that if you do this, this is what you get. It's saying this is the way that the world typically works, that if you go to bed early and if you get up early and if you work hard, then this, will, this is typically the results. Now, that's not always the case. And so it's important when we come to the book of Proverbs, we understand what it is and what it is not. It's not promises for us. It is uh, the way life normally works. You, prob- you could call Proverbs probabilities. This is the way the world typically works. And if you want to live a good and fulfilled and a whole life, this is what you need to do. This is the way that the world typically works. And so wisdom, book of Proverbs is going to beg us to get wisdom. What is wisdom? It is knowing the right thing and applying it in every given situation of our lives. It is not enough just to know. I mean, in my own experience, right? There's a lot of things I know that I didn't apply, and I got myself in a lot of trouble. Anybody else? Amen to that, right? Wisdom isn't just knowledge. It's knowing how to apply that to the given situations of our lives. And the book of Proverbs is going to depict wisdom in several ways. One of the ways it's going to depict wisdom is as this woman who is calling out to you saying, I need, pick me, I, you, you need to choose me, you need to be wise. A good analogy is this, uh, I don't know, I've never seen it, but I kind of know about it because it's everywhere in our culture, but the, the dating shows on TV, right, the, the Bachelor and those types of shows, right, there's, there's these, these women, right, or these men who are vying for the attention of this, uh, this person who's supposed to pick one of them, right, and they're supposed to fall in love and go get married and whatever it is, you know, all of that stuff. And, uh, and so the shows have all these, these individuals that the contestant is supposed to sort of pick. And the book of Proverbs, if you think about it, almost like a dating show, I know that sounds funny, but in the book of Proverbs, there are two women that want your attention. And they are these two women. One of them is wisdom. The book tells us that woman wisdom stands at the, in the streets and she screams aloud, come and follow me and live a wise and fulfilled life. And then there's this other woman that we translate it as folly, but in our modern term, we could just call her stupidity, right? She stands as well, and she's screaming, come and follow me, and you have a choice to make every single day. Like, which one will you pick? Will you choose wisdom, or will you choose stupidity? And you may say, oh, yeah, wisdom every time. I got that. I'm... But it's not that easy. Because it's easy for us to sit in here and go, oh, I make the wise choices. But when we're out there, you see the trick is stupidity often disguises herself. Amen. Uh, you ever got yourself in trouble? You thought it was a good decision, and you realized that was, not a, that was not a good decision. Right? Stupidity often disguises herself. And the book is going to tell us that there's these two things that play in your life, these two women that it depicts them as, and it's saying this. You, you've got to make a choice. 
Are you going to choose the wise way, or are you going to choose the way of folly or of stupidity? But another way that the book depicts wisdom is this. It is this relationship of a father to his son or to his daughter. That picture an older gentleman, maybe a grandfather, or an older father, sitting in his rocking chair, sipping his sweet tea, because we like sweet tea in the South, right? He's, he's sipping his sweet tea, and he is uh, gathered around the kids and the grandkids, and he's getting ready to dispense out some, some wisdom. And that, that's another idea that the book of Proverbs is going to show us. As a matter of fact, if you look in chapters 2 through 7, every single one of these chapters starts out with this phrase, or some version of it, hear my son, listen my son, pay attention my son. It is this father calling out to his children saying, pick the wise way. Don't, don't go the way of foolishness. Don't, don't go the way of stupidity. Pick the wise way. If you want to live well, if you want to have a fulfilled life, if you want to be whole, if you want your life to have meaning and significance, pick the wise way. And he's going to sit down with his children and he's going to tell them this advice and he's going to, to show them the way that they should walk. And so we're going to read this morning in Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. And this good father here is going to lay a foundation for us and we're going to look at some of the advice that he gives us. Proverbs chapter 3 beginning at verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Verse 7, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn from evil and it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him who he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. I want to ask this question this morning is how is it that we live a fulfilled and meaningful life? And I want us to look at this passage and kind of talk about that. But let's pray. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your word. Man, we thank you that it transforms us. And it, God, it's like a surgeon's knife. God, it, it digs in deep into our lives and it cuts out the things that need to go and it repairs the things that need to be repaired. And I, I pray this morning that we would open our hearts and open our lives, God, to hear what you have to say to us. And God, I ask that you would help us to not just hear it, but apply it. Lord, help us to listen with our feet, ready to do what you ask us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I want us to look at this passage and just point out a, a few things that we need to do in order to live a fulfilled and whole life. And this is, again, think of this as advice from, from a father. So the first thing is this, that we need to listen to the Lord's commands. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 1 through 4, My son, do not forsake my teaching. Don't forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. 
For length of days and life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so that you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. So the author here begins by telling us, don't forget the commandments. Don't forget the things I'm telling you. Pay close attention. And all throughout the book of Proverbs, you'll hear this, listen, my son, pay attention, my son. You know, uh, this is the first step to a fulfilled and whole life. Pay attention. Listen. Remember. Get, get this. If you don't get anything else, get this. Because what he wants them to do is to remember the things that he's taught them, to remember the commandments. And how many of us in our lives get ourselves in so much trouble because we neglect the word and the commandments of God? I don't know if you've ever tried to put together some furniture, right? Maybe you bought it at Ikea or Walmart or something like that, right? And if you put it together, uh, I can be terrible about this, but you get started and you get, like, it's got a pattern to it and you're like, oh, like, I know what's going on here. I can do this. And you sort of, the instructions sort of find their way over there somewhere, right? And you're, you're putting it together and you, you go to the next step and you're like, this is going to be just like the last one. And you keep going and you get like, from, you get like step, step 10 or 15 or whatever. And you notice like something's not quite right. Like this is missing some pieces. This isn't doing what it's supposed to be doing. And you go back and you look at the instructions and you go, oh, like I messed up right here. And what do you have to do? You have to go undo, pull apart. And you got to put it back together the right way, following the instructions. And how many times in our lives do we forget the commands of the Lord? And we go, oh, we, we got it. Like, we don't, we don't need to pay attention to that. That's not that important. Or, man, we've heard that before a hundred times. If you've been to church, you go, oh, I've heard that before. And it just kind of goes in one ear and out the other. Right? Remember, wisdom isn't just knowing what you should do. It's actually doing it. And many times churches are full of people who know the right things to do, but we fail to actually do it. And he says here not to forget the Lord's commands that we need to read, we need to know, we need to apply Scripture to our lives. And he goes on to tell us part of what we need to remember is this, is remember steadfast love and faithfulness. Man, that word steadfast love, anytime you see that, uh, most of the time it should be like raise some flags because it's not just love. It's not love like our culture would talk about it. It is a Hebrew word that goes back to God's covenant with his people. And it's saying this, that it is a love that is faithful. It is a love that is never ending. It is a love that is always there. And he says, you need to hold on to that steadfast love. You need to, you need to be that type of person. You need to hold on to faithfulness. You need to be a faithful person. And he tells us that steadfast love and faithfulness need to be bound around our neck and written on our hearts. Now why that, that metaphor, why that idea? Because in Hebrew, the, the throat was the kind of source of life to them. And so what he's saying is this, is you need to let steadfast love and faithfulness imprint itself on your very being. That, that it needs to become part of who you are. The picture he's getting across here is that we would internalize these commands. You know, there is a difference in just doing the commands and then allowing them to change you so that you become who you need to be. The goal is not that you would simply follow the commands. The goal is that you would become more like Jesus. Amen. And this is not some external 
thing where if I, just, if I just do all of the right things, then everything's good. No, it's I do those things in order that I might be transformed inside, in order that I might become who God wants me to be. Amen. That he, He's saying here, you've got to internalize it. It's not just something that you know and that you just sort of, just sort of do as you feel like it. It's, it's not, it is something that becomes part of who you are. And he says this is that, that as you become a person who follows the Lord's commands, as you become a person of love and faithfulness, what's the result? He says this, that it is length of days and years to life. He says that peace and favor and good success. Listen, all of this does not mean wealth or success or favor as in money and material stuff. That's not what he has in mind here. And certainly that might be part of it, but it isn't the full picture. Because we all know people who've had great amounts of fame and money and stuff, and they were empty on the inside. What he's after here is this, is a fulfilled and whole and complete life. You realize that sin, at its root, what it does is this, is it disrupts relationships. It, it throws, God created the world and it was good and it was whole and it was complete and all the pieces sort of fit together the way that they're supposed to. And sin enters, and what it does is it pushes you out of place. It pushes you out of, of joint with, with God. And not just with God, but it puts you out of place with others, and then it, it messes up your relationship to yourself. Yeah. So that at the very root of even who you are, there is, a, there is a problem. That sin has damaged your relationship with God, your relationship with others, and your relationship even to your own self. So that, that you do not, you cannot uh, figure out sometimes which way is up. It is a sickness that has infected all of those relationships. And what the writer of Proverbs here is after is this restoration, a wholeness, a completeness, a putting back together of those relationships. And we know this, that that only starts as we take the first step to follow Jesus. But salvation is much more than just saying a prayer and asking Jesus to come into our hearts. That's part of it, to be sure, we would call that justification. That's the moment that we are made right in relationship with God. But the process of that we would call sanctification, where your relationship not just with God has been restored, but you're learning to live that out. But then your relationship with other people and with yourself starts to come back together. And that is a, pro that is a lifelong process that will not be completed until the day that we see Jesus. But that is the goal. And what the writer here is talking about is a whole a complete life. Because you see, you can have all of the money in the world and still be miserable and still be broken and still have all sorts of problems and disconnects between you and God and other people. And you can be broke and you can have nothing and you can have a relationship with God that's begun to restore your relationship with others and with yourself and you can be at peace and you can have happiness. I'll never forget the first missions trip that I went on was to Quito, Ecuador. And I was 16 years old, and we flew into this uh, place, and we were doing outreaches in the, this city. And we met some pastors and some people who, by our standards, honestly would have had nothing. We would have, like, we would have gone crazy. We, we wouldn't have known how to function. And yet these were some of the most happy and fulfilled and whole and joyful and peaceful people that I've ever met. Why? Because you can have absolutely nothing by the world's standards and God can be working and putting things back together and none of that even matters. 
And you can have everything by the world standards, and if you do not have Jesus, and if he is not healing your life from the inside out, then none of the stuff that you have matters. And so what does he say here? He says, first of all, don't neglect, don't forget my teaching. Don't, don't put it away on the back burner. Pay attention to my word. Man, we need to fall in love with the word of God again. Yeah. We, it is a travesty that we live in a country with such access to the Bible and to materials and to study, and yet our reading of the Word is so low. Man, use the tools that God has given us. If you don't have a Bible, if you have a phone, you've got a Bible. Congratulations, you have one, right? Go download the app. There are reading plans. There are things you can do to learn to get into God's Word, to apply it to your life. You can, if you, if you don't like reading, there's an app that lets you listen to the Bible. It's all completely free. Put it to use in your life. Get the Word of God in you. Let it transform you. Let it shape you. Let it mold you. Do not neglect the Word of God. Do not neglect His commands. Do, do not neglect what God is saying, because I guarantee you what will happen is that somewhere along life, right, just with that furniture that you put together, you'll get to step 10 or 12 of life, and you'll go, something's, something's out of whack, like something's missing. And you'll start to look back, and you'll go searching for that missing piece somewhere. And then you will find that either one, you will end up looking in all of the wrong places for that missing piece, and your life will get even more miserable. and even It might fix it for a minute, but it will never be what it's supposed to be. Or you will find yourself finding, coming face to face with Jesus who will transform you and will be the peace that is missing. But why, why waste all that time and why ignore him for so long? Why not, why not give your life over to him now? Why not, why not surrender to him now and let him put your life back together? And so the first thing that we're told is this, do not forsake the Lord's teaching. Do not forget it. Secondly, we're told this, that we are to trust the Lord's wisdom. So this father giving his son advice tells him, do not forsake my teaching. And then he says this, we need to trust in the wisdom of the Lord. Proverbs 3, chapter 5, or Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 8. Most of you know this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Verse 7, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. What is this father calling for here? First, he's calling for his son to make total and complete commitment to the Lord. He says, trust in the Lord with all of your hearts. The idea here is this, is that laying down flat, helplessly on our faces in front of the Lord. That's the idea. The idea is that of someone who has to completely, like we have nothing to offer, we've got nothing to give, we have to put ourselves completely in his trust. We have to we have just lay ourselves out before him. Now why would he paint this picture? And the truth is this, because our wisdom and our own plans and our way of seeing and our way of doing things always comes up short. That there is, he goes on to tell us this in verse 7, don't be wise in your own eyes. There is this, this wisdom that we think we have. We think we have it all figured out. We think we, we know what we're doing. And the, the Proverbs is telling us, no, that, no, you don't. As a matter of fact, in chapter 14, verse 12, he's going to say this. There's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. That we have to, we have to completely surrender ourselves, lay ourselves down and say, God, 
I don't, like, I don't have it together. This is why prayer is so important, because at its very root, at the very heart of prayer, is this uh, realization and this, uh, we're admitting, man, God, I don't have it together. God, I need you. When's the last time you just told God, God, I don't have all the answers? God, I, I, don't, I, don't, know which, I don't know which way is right. I don't know which way is best. I don't know what to do here. God, I, I need your wisdom. God, God, I'm trusting you completely. God, I, I think that I have a way to do this, but God, is this really the right way? It's laying ourselves out before him and saying, God, we, we don't have it together. God, we can't figure it out. Lord, we don't, we don't know what to do, God, but we're surrendering ourselves to you. My, my son is uh, three years old, and as a dad, you know, you try to like dish out some good wisdom every once in a while. And uh, he has recently got into Legos and like superheroes, so he got this like Lego Batman set for his birthday. And I told him in conversation with him, I said, don't play with the Legos by the couch, right? Because we have one of those sectionals that like it's hard to move and anything that goes in like never comes out, right? You know, the, you know those couches, right? It, it goes in, but like you're not seeing it, for, I think, for 20 years, right? It's gone. Uh, and so he, I said, don't play with the Legos over by the couch. They're small. The pieces are going to fall on the couches. It's going to be bad. And he looks at me in all this three-year-old wisdom and says, Dad, like, I got this. I'm not going to let this stuff fall on the couch, right? And as a parent, right, you, you have to decide, am I gonna, is that a battle I'm going to fight and be like, get those out of here, you know, don't, don't put Legos on the couch, or am I just going to kind of like let it play out? So I decided to like let it play out. I said, okay. You don't, don't drop him in the couch. Fine. See what you can do. And I'm very sad to report that Lego Batman is still missing, right? He's somewhere. I, I imagine we'll find him in like 20 or 30 years when we move the couch, right? But isn't that the way that we are, right? God says, you, you might not should do that. And we go, like, I, I got this covered, God. Like, I got this under control. He's not going to fall on the couch. Surely that's not going to happen to me. Like, I'm smarter than that, God. Right? I, 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 I know what I'm doing. And Proverbs is going to say, man, there's a way that you think is right, and you think you've got it figured out, and you think you, you have all of this wisdom, and you, you, you don't really. That we have to trust in the Lord, that we have to admit to Him, man, I, I don't have it figured out, and I, that's why i got to trust you. Listen, there are angles that you can't possibly see. There are things in motion in your life that you can't possibly know. And God knows the end from the beginning and every piece in between. And we got to trust Him. We have to, we have to give ourselves fully to Him. And in verse 6, it tells us this, that we should trust in the Lord with all of our hearts. And it says, in all our ways, we know it, acknowledge Him. And the way we translate that is, almost seems like we just kind of got to give a nod to God in everything we do. Like, all right, yeah, God's here. All right, I acknowledge Him. But that's not what that means at all. What it means is in all your ways, know him. Know him. Know him. And it, here's where it goes together. It's easier to trust someone that you actually know. That, that we have to know him. The idea here is intimately knowing God. That we have to know him. In all our ways, we've got to know him. And everything we do, we got to say, God, I want to know you. God, I want to know your wisdom. God, I, I need to know you. And knowing him is what starts to make our path straight. Trusting him, giving ourselves fully to him is what starts to make our path straight. If this passage, and some think that this proverb, this chapter was written by Solomon, and if it was, 
Then I can't help but think that he's pulling back to remembrance some advice from his father David in 1 Chronicles chapter 28. David speaking to Solomon says, And you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with your whole heart and with a willing mind. Know God. Know, know God, son. Know, know him. Don't, don't just pay lip service to him. Know him. And God has a way of directing us, guiding us, and giving us wisdom that we need as we know him. John chapter 15, Jesus says it this way. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is it that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Notice the metaphor here. Sometimes when we think about God, right, we, we have this idea of a battery that needs to be recharged. Right, so we think, I'm coming to church, I say my prayers in the morning, I'm getting with God, I'm getting recharged, and I'm going, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to charge up, disconnect, go out to the world, and, and hope for the best. And then I'll be back next Sunday, and I'm going to get recharged, and I'm going to pray tomorrow morning, and maybe read my Bible, and get recharged, and then I'm going out there and hope for the best. But the image that Jesus gives us here in John 15 is one of a vine connected to the branch, of a, of a branch of a tree connected to the tree. I, I, like last time I checked, I didn't see the branches on my trees being like, all right, we got what we need today. Pull off, go over here. No, what, what are they? They're constantly connected. And what Jesus wants for us is to know him, to have constant connection with him. He says this, apart from me, when you disconnect from me, you can do nothing. Amen. When you disconnect from me. And so, man, how do we, that begs the question, how do we include Jesus in our day instead of just kind of giving him a, giving him a nod in the mornings or in the evenings or on Sundays? How, how, do I, how do I bring Jesus into the moment, into the nitty-gritty of my life? Listen, Jesus is not just interested in spiritual things. He's interested in the stuff you have to do every single day, that he is there in those moments. I believe it was a famous monk by the name of Brother Lawrence wrote a little short book called Practicing the Presence of God. And this monk was a dishwasher at a monastery. He didn't have, like, he wasn't fancy or didn't do anything major. He was just a dishwasher. And he started to grapple with this question, how do I bring God into just my ordinary dishwashing life? And he wrote this short little book about how he began to just wash those pots for the glory of God and how he began to commune with God as he's washing those pots and pans and dishes and how God wants to show up in not in just church and not in just our prayer time and not in just our morning devotionals, but that God wants to start to show up in every aspect of our lives. Yeah. And the truth of the matter is he's already there, right? We just don't see him. Amen. We're just not paying attention. And part of our spiritual growth is really learning to pay attention to where God is working, not just in the church service, but in our everyday lives. And, and we've got to learn to know him in our everyday life, not just know him in these moments, not just know him in our devotional life, not just, we've got to learn to know him all throughout our life and in every moment that he's there and he wants to speak to us. And what happens when we allow the Lord to direct our paths? He tells us this, that we should fear the Lord and turn from evil. Knowing God brings us to the place where we start to fear and awe and reverence him as we begin to see him for who he is. And the best antidote in your life to sin is knowing Jesus. Amen. Like seeing Jesus. When you start to see Jesus for who he really is, when you start to know him, man, sin no longer looks so appealing. 
Like junk no longer looks so appealing when you've got this over here and Jesus is so much better. What's the result of all this? He tells us if we'll acknowledge the Lord, if we'll trust in Him, we will have success or straight paths. He tells us that it's like healing and refreshment or medicine to our bones. And I love that because all of that is opposed to this. When I trust my own wisdom, when I try to do it my own way, when I try to go about life without knowing God and, and trusting completely in Him, what happens is this, is I think I've got to keep it all together. And that leads me to anxiety, to worry, to all sorts of problems because I don't, I don't, ha I don't have all the answers and I can't keep it all together. But when I fully trust in Him, instead of anxiety and worry and all of those problems, it tells us we get healing, we get refreshment, we get peace, we get medicine to our bones. And man, I don't know about you, but we live in an age of worry and anxiety and all sorts of problems. And man, if the people of God would begin trusting in God the way that He wants us to, man, we have the answer to all of those, many of those issues. And so the, the, the Father here tells us that we need to learn to listen to the commands of the Lord, that we need to trust His wisdom. And then thirdly, it tells us this, we need to honor the Lord for His provision. In verse 9 through 10, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all you produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. When we are successful, here is the problem, is we are tempted to think that we got there on our own. We're tempted to think that we have all of the answers and that we have it figured out. You know, we naturally know this and we have this natural uneasiness. Maybe if you've done this before, you, you go and you, you look for a gift for someone, right? And you don't just get them any gift, right? You put some thought into it and you spend some time on it and maybe some money and some energy and thinking through exactly what that individual might want. And then have you ever, you ever given it to them after you've given it careful consideration and careful thought and you've planned it down to the T and you even got like, how are you going to give it to them figured out and you give it to them and like it just sort of like bombs. It's not, they're not impressed. They're not grateful. They're just sort of like, eh, okay, great. Got another one of these, right? Like, why do I need this? You know how we feel when somebody does that to us. And I can imagine perhaps that's the way God feels. When he's given us everything. Man, we're breathing. The sunrise. His son, Jesus, he gives us on the cross. He's given us his Holy Spirit, and we kind of go, yeah, okay, sure, thanks. But we don't really overflow with thankfulness. And what he's reminding us here is this, is that everything you have is from the Lord. Everything you have is from the Lord. It's a reminder that we're to honor the Lord by giving back what he has given us that we ought to be gracious and thankful to the Lord for all He's done for us. This scripture here pulls from the book of Deuteronomy and other scriptures where the Israelites were to bring the first fruit of their crops to the Lord. And this scripture even goes beyond that. It reminds us that it's a principle that we should live by. And what is this principle? That in everything, the Lord ought to be first. Amen. Not just money. Listen, this is not just a passage about money. It's not just about giving money. And you hear people get into pointless arguments over like, well, should I tithe? Like, isn't that Old Testament? And like, okay, listen, I, I'm not here to debate that with you, whatever. You've got an opinion, great. But why would we want to argue about whether or not we should give? Like, just, just throwing that out there. Right? The, the God of the universe is a giving God. Yeah. 
Before the world was created, he exists in Trinity, giving of himself one to another, Spirit, Father, Son. He creates the world and he gives of himself. God cannot help but give. It's, it's part of who he is. He, he can't not give. That, that is God. He is giving. And if we are his people, then we will also be giving. Yes. So it makes no sense to get into stupid arguments over whether or not we should be giving. You should be giving. Like, and, and if God, who's given us his son, graciously given us his son in a new covenant, right, how much more should we give more than they gave in the old covenant? Just saying. So wh why do we want to try to wiggle our way out of doing something that God himself does and calls us to do in response? It, it doesn't make any sense to me. But God is calling us to be givers, not just with our money, but with our time and with our talent and with the resources that he has given us. Every breath you take is a gift from God. Amen. Every talent that you have, you did not get there by yourself. Maybe you practiced, maybe you did all that, but listen, you did not get there by yourself. It is a gift from God. Every penny you earn is a gift from God. And man, God deserves our worship and our praise and our giving back to him in every single area of our lives. And that's what this tells us is that we need to be people who give honor to the Lord, who give thanks to the Lord, who give him glory and honor and we're grateful and gracious for all that he has done for us. Amen. And what does it tell us the result of all this is? Honoring the Lord for his provision, watch this, brings more provision. He says, if you honor the Lord with your first fruits, if you honor the Lord by giving, what happens is this, is that I, I will bless you. And he said, your barns are going to overflow. Like your, your stuff is just, like you're just going to have miracles just happen. And these things are going to overflow in your life. Now, again, this is not some slick TV preacher up here telling me, if you send me $100, God's going to send you 1000 Like that's that not the deal. That, this is, remember, this is a proverb. These are, not, these are not promises. This is the way that the world generally works. And what I know is this, is that maybe we send in that hundred bucks or we give, maybe you don't get it back in that way, but I believe God blesses you in other ways. And remember that the goal is not that you would be materially blessed, but that you would be whole, that you would be complete. And sometimes God does bless with material blessings, but the, the, the real deal is really our lives, we're complete and God blesses us in many, many, many other ways. And we get stuck on money, man. God has so many other ways to bless us that's way more important than those things. And so we need to remember that the result is that honoring the Lord for provision brings more provision. God has everything you need. In God's economy, God is not running out of resources. We hoard stuff, right? And we hold on to things like it's like the last bit of it. Like, like your kids at the table, right? And it's the last chocolate chip cookie, right? And somebody's going to, like one of them's going to take it, right? And you're not getting it because I'm getting it. And we hold on to our stuff like we got the last cookie at the table or the last piece of pizza or whatever. But in God's economy, there's always more. Amen. There's always more. Oh, we, we would do well to remember when God's economy, God is not running out of resources. He's not short on his, uh, his hand is not short. He has everything that you need. This is why it's so important as a church and why we push missions because you cannot outgive God. And there is always more. God will, if we're doing what God wants us to do, God will always take care of us. Yes. I mean, honestly, when we do what God wants us to do, God always takes care of us. 
David said it this way, I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor their seed begging for bread. God will always take care of us. It is our job to respond graciously to him and to give back to him all the things that, that he has blessed us. He's blessed us in so many ways, and we ought to live a life of gratefulness and thankfulness and worship and praise, and we ought to be givers in every area of our lives. Yeah. It ought to just overflow. It's interesting to me, in church uh, life, they tell us that, like, statistics in school, and in some ways this is true, some places it's not, but they say in a, in a given church, about 20% of the people do about 80% of the work, which is an interesting statistic. But it's interesting to me, this, this, this one fact, is that when you're looking for somebody, this is true in your own life, when you're looking for somebody to do something, you think about the people that have already been doing something. Yeah. And so it is as we give of ourselves and we give of our, and we're grateful and we're giving of ourselves that God just seems to continually give more and bless more, and do more, and we are, all of a sudden we've got resources we didn't know we had. We've got, we've got overflowing, we've got, we've, got, we've got talent we didn't know we had as we gave of ourselves, and we stretched ourselves a little bit, and we submitted ourselves to God. All of a sudden, things we didn't know we had start to show up. It's interesting, like, I, 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 uh, when I was a kid, right, and I, my first sermon or whatever that I ever preached was a little five-minute sermon at a fine arts. And I talked so fast. I think I had done it in like 30 seconds. I'm not kidding. And I was so nervous, right? And my little knees, they shook and they knocked. And like, it was, it was bad, y'all. It was terrible. But I, and I didn't want to do it. Like, I was like, I'm not, I'm not doing that. And then, then as, as a kid, I, I learned to play some instruments and lead a little bit of worship. And I, I got to tell you, I didn't want to do it. Like, I was not, no. And I had luckily had somebody in my life that's like, yeah, I don't care what you want. You're doing it. I was like, I, I hate you right now. Like, don't, no. But I, I did it, and watch, watch what happens. As you give to God, man, there's stuff inside of you you don't even know is there yet. Amen. But it will never be unlocked until you give, until you stretch yourself a little bit. There's, there's financial provision. You, like, you don't even know that, that it's there. That there's talent that you don't even realize that is there. there. There's resources you don't even know is there. And the key is you stretch yourself and you, you graciously just give. You give of yourself. And so we honor the Lord. We're grateful for what he's given us. In God's economy, we don't have to hoard our resources because there is always more than enough to go around. Now, this doesn't mean that we live frivolously and we just like, oh, every, you know, you hear people say, well, I'm just going to do what I want because when I'm gone, like the Antichrist can have it. Like, oh, come on. Like your, Proverbs is going to be clear, right? Manage well. But managing well doesn't mean hoarding. Managing well means, man, giving and being gracious and giving of ourselves. So we need to be people. This father is telling this son that we need to be people who we listen to the commands of the Lord, that we are people who follow the wisdom of the Lord and that we honor the Lord for his provision. And then finally this morning as we wrap up, he tells us that we need to be people who submit to the Lord's discipline. He tells us in verse 11, my son, don't despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves those whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. We read this, and I don't know about you, but the first place my mind goes is like sitting in the principal's office or something, right? Like I'm in trouble, right? Or how many of you had this? Like you wait till your dad gets home, right? Or you got in trouble. I got in trouble at school. I got in more trouble at home, right? And that's what I think of when you think of discipline, you think like, man, I'm I did something wrong, and I'm going to get it. 
And, I, you know, it brings up a little bit of fear in, in the heart, right? But that's not the full picture of what this idea means. The idea here is discipline is also training. The Olympics are coming up, right? And I was flipping through and watched, I don't know, they were high diving or something, something I can't do, right? And I would die trying to do. Uh, so they're up there doing these high dives and stuff like that. And if you want to be an Olympic athlete, man, it's not just like, oh, I, I think I'll be an Olympic athlete. Let me go sign up, right? No. These people wake up early in the morning every day, before most of us probably. And they, they go to the pool or they go to the track or they go to the ski slopes or whatever it is they're training to do. And they train for hours and hours and hours. And they don't just do this a few times. This is their life. This is their lifestyle. They've disciplined themselves and they do these habits. And the reason that they do them is that there's a certain type of person they want to be. They want to be known as an Olympic athlete. That is their goal. And everything they do trains them to become an Olympic athlete. And so their habits and their discipline shape who they are and begin to become a part of who they are so their identity starts to actually be tied to that. Now it is the same thing in our life with Jesus. You're, the goal of this thing is to be more like Jesus. And we have to discipline ourselves, not to earn anything from God, but because the goal is to be more like Jesus. And that we need to spend time, they call them the spiritual disciplines for a reason. We need to spend time in prayer, in the Word of God. We need to be at church. We need to uh, give of ourselves. We need to uh, spend time in worship. We need to do all of those things so those habits start to form us and shape us, and it changes who we are so that we become a follower of Jesus. Like that, that becomes our identity, becomes the root of who we are. And again, it's not about earning something. It is about giving a God something to work with in our lives. You, cannot, you don't just come down and say a prayer and, and, and be done with it. Like This is not what this is about. It is about following Jesus. It is about coming more like Jesus. And you have to give something for him to work with. It'd be like this. This text tells us, My son, don't despise the Lord's discipline. So imagine, again, our Olympic, you know, people training for the Olympics, right? So you've got one guy who's up every morning, and he, he doesn't always enjoy it, right? But he hits the pool, 4 o'clock every morning or whatever, and he swims for several hours. And you've got another guy who, like, sometimes he's like, oh, you know, I hit the snooze button again. I'll make it today. I don't really feel like getting in that pool today. No sense in worrying about that. Like, which one's going to end up the Olympic athlete? The, the guy who got up and did something. The guy who didn't despise his discipline. But many times our, we despise the discipline. We're not putting in, the, we're not doing the things that God wants. And this, and this doesn't mean you're going to wake up every morning like, Hello, Lord, where's my Bible? Oh, I'm... No, there's going to be some mornings you're going to wake up and go, oh, I really want to sleep. But man, the Lord is good. And man, he promised he would meet me. And so whether I feel anything or not, here we go. And we crawl ourselves out of bed and we spend time in prayer. And you may not always feel like it, but it is as we do it day after day after day and year after year after year that Christ becomes formed in us and we become more and more like Jesus. And that is the point. 
And the other, there is a part of this that is like discipline as correction. As a matter of fact, in Proverbs chapter 12, the author of Hebrews picks this up in Hebrews chapter 12, excuse me. He says this, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? And he's referring back to this passage in Proverbs. He says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, and don't be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the ones he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. There are moments where God's going to say, Hey, you got, like, this has to stop, and he's going to work in our lives and, and cut things out. There are moments where it's going to feel like maybe punishment. There are moments where it's going to be correction. But any good, again, back to our analogy of the athlete, any good athlete's got to have a coach who says, hey, you need to get yourself in the water. You need to get swimming. And by the way, like your stroke there, like it's screwed up. You need to fix it. And there are moments where God's going to say, hey, you need to be doing this. And by the way, this area of your life, it's screwed up. We need to fix it. There are moments where we're going to have correction. Any good parent has to correct their children. And that's what this passage reminds us, is that a good father corrects their son. If you do not then your children will hurt themselves. Trust me, I know. Right? I got a three-year-old and a six-year-old. If I let them do whatever they wanted to do, it would be like Cheetos and cookies for breakfast every morning, ice cream for dinner, and we'd all be running in the road, right? And we probably, like, I probably wouldn't be here, right? I'd be in trouble. Or my kids would not be here, right? There are moments where like, a good parent disciplines his children for their, for their good, and God disciplines us for our good. And why? What does this tell us? It's a reminder that submitting to the Lord and His discipline reminds us that He loves us like a good father and that He's shaping us. Man, He's working in your life even when you can't see it. He's shaping you to be the man or the woman that He's desired. It's this reminder that God is working on us. And so this morning here is what I'd like to remind you of is that if we will trust in our Heavenly Father, if we will listen to His commands, if we will if we will submit ourselves to his wisdom, man, if we, will, if we will do those things, if we will be grateful for all that he's given us, and if we will submit to his discipline, man, we live a meaningful and fulfilled life. And this all begins, right? The, the moment that this begins is as we submit to him and we say, God, I, I don't have it figured out. I can't do it on my own. I'm not wise enough to live life on my own. I need you. And we ask him into our lives and we make him the Lord of our life, and we put him in charge instead of us. Most of our problems, let's just be honest, most of our trouble comes in our lives when we think we can have it figured out and we can do it on our own. Listen, I'm, I'm here to tell you, you're not that smart and you don't have it all figured out. That is no diss on you. It is just, I just, you can watch, like watch human nature, right? Listen, we don't have it all figured out. And if you think you do, you're fooling yourself. The truth is that you don't have it all figured out, that, that God sees things you, don't, you couldn't possibly see. He knows things you couldn't possibly know. And what he has called you to do is submit yourself to him. And as you do that and as you walk these things out, God wants to realign, reconfigure, rework your life so that you are whole and that you have peace and joy and wholeness in your life.